we are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Brothers, welcome to the podcast. Today we get to tune in and listen to our September breakfast with John Smithwick. Let's tune in and listen to his message to the Brotherhood. Thank you so much. Thank you for that uh, gracious introduction, Johnny and Lee. Just so excited, as well as Mark, at what God is doing through Brotherhood. It is just absolutely phenomenal. We need movements like this, and I believe it's more than a group, an organization, just a breakfast. I believe it's the beginning of a movement. We need movements like this in our U.S. of A today and around the world. So give yourselves a hand for being part of the beginning of a movement. It's awesome. I am not the voice actor or voice talent of Optimus Prime or Hulk Hogan, although I have imitated both. (laughs) This summer, finishing out our last trip in Romania, a young guy that the YWAM base we work with there uh, you know, kind of rough around the edges, just coming into uh, his walk with Christ. And he said, can you do that voice for me? And so I did it and he was like, oh man, whoop, whoop, whoop. That's so cool. Whoop, whoop, whoop. And uh, you just got to chuckle. But you know, that goes with the territory. Real men love people right where they're at and reach people right where they're at with the gospel because that's the nature of the master. And so just want to share a little bit about my journey and What I've come to see is the missional purpose, not just for my life, but also I believe the missional purpose for every man uh, on planet earth, especially those that have signed up to be Christ's followers. And no matter what walk of life you find yourself in, I believe you're to take part in this missional purpose. And so just sharing a little bit about myself, um, we'll throw up that next screen that we have. Just wanna give you guys a little bit of a context. One of the largest crowds I had the privilege of preaching in in Pakistan uh, right before the pandemic. And uh, we saw over 69,000 come to Christ. It was awesome, epic. Uh, Hundreds that were touched and healed in that crusade by the risen Jesus, who's Savior and Lord. Real honor uh, to have opportunities like that in these 25 years that we've been doing this all around the planet. Um, I've had the opportunity to sit with Buddhist, head Buddhist monks of Thailand and areas of the world like Thailand and Burma. I've witnessed a Hindu uh, priest. Uh, I've sat and talked uh, with Muslim clerics. I mean, it, it's amazing the different things, all the way to sharing the gospel with mayors and councilmen and governors and even had members of parliament a time or two fly into our mass evangelism projects in areas of the world that are very unreached, like Burma, Myanmar. And to date, we track everything that the Lord's done. If we bring up that next slide, that gives kind of the current total here at year 25, we're knocking on the door by the grace of God of 2.5 million decisions that have been made for Christ. And those are face-to-face encounters. The beautiful thing about that, it's humbling when I see that number because that number doesn't just reflect John Smithwick or John and Martine. That number reflects uh, the privilege that I've had of mobilizing so many short-term missionaries and some that have gone from short-term to long-term 
in, in these 25 years, and that number is at the very bottom, over 2,703 that we've been able to facilitate out to the front lines of harvest all around the globe. And with that, the large amount of gospel distribution and miracles have, have happened through their hands, their fingertips. We believe in a risen Jesus that does what he said he will do. And he said, when we preach the good news gospel, not only will people be forever changed when they call on his name, but he is there to back up his good news with further good news. And that's the working of miracles. That's piercing through drug addiction, alcoholism. In one moment, freeing people from the dark powers that have controlled their life. And it's just been an epic honor to see God do all of that. Uh, with that, I just believe with all my heart, um, the more we press to connect people to the global movement of the Great Commission. How many know Jesus gave the Great Commission roughly 2,000 years ago? And it was not the great suggestion, right? It was the last orders from headquarters. And it didn't involve just one or two areas of the planet. It didn't even involve one or two nations. It was going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So it gives me great pleasure to share the trip. Johnny alluded to Brazil. In the introduction, Brazil hit an all-time record for us. We were able to mobilize 102 missionaries out on that trip, and it was epic. What that means is for every four or five that come, that represents a whole sub-team that's able to go out to a whole different area, anywhere from four to eight will be on each sub-team. So we're able to cover another four to eight schools in evangelizing and sharing the gospel, able to hit other villages, every sub-team more that we have. And so in that moment, it was truly an epic just occurrence for us because we went to an area, I didn't realize how bound in religion this area was till we got on the ground and I saw a statue that dwarfed Nebuchadnezzar's statue recorded in the book of Daniel it, it stood over 102 feet tall. Now, only God in his divine wisdom and orchestration of all things could do what he did. People will come and bring offerings to that statue and worship that thing under the guise of another religion, thinking it's a form of Christianity, but it's not. They'll carve, if they have a maimed arm or a deformed uh, leg or something wrong, they'll even pay big money to carve out, uh, you know, such and put it in front of that thing. And just as I stood and saw this statue, my heart was grieved. They'll come and do penance, carry huge rocks from the bottom of a hill all the way up to the top of another hill. And, and all the long, they're going past stations that are little statues, representatives of the passion of the Christ. And so it begins to show you the world many times may know a form of religion, but may not know the real living Jesus that's already paid the price for them to be in a relationship with the living God of the universe, Father God, that each and every one of us that have encountered Jesus are in relationship with. Yeah, we can give God a hand. And that's what we did that week that we were there. We didn't know one to three million come on a pilgrimage to that little small area of maybe 80 to 100,000 people doing those types of acts, but God brought 102 and the spirit of God prompted in my heart, John, I knew exactly what was going on here way before you did. And I brought exactly 
per foot the number of missionaries to unleash my glory and goodness on behalf of an area that's been bound in darkness. That's what this thing's all about, getting his good news gospel to those that have not heard so that they can be freed and come into relationship with him. I wanna just quickly honor one more man before I get on into my message. Uh, I know we talked about some of the leaders here. wanna honor uh, pastor, founding pastor Willie George and uh, standing pastor, Pastor Whit George, for just raising up such a base of ministry so movements like Brotherhood can exist and thrive. Thank you, guys. And then I want to honor my father, Richard Smithwick. Thank you, Dad. He's 81. Thank you, being a godly, spirit-filled businessman, for taking a divine detour when God knocked at your heart that from those four to five years took us as a family when I was just a youngster and my brother Stephen as far north as Maine and then down to McAllen, Texas as they went to Spanish and missionary school and then roughly a year in the very bottom of Mexico out to villages sharing the gospel that had never seen a North American. God dropped the seeds of the nations in my heart because of your obedience. Being a man saying, I'm gonna follow God's call. It doesn't matter what direction the business goes or not. I'm gonna fulfill the mandate of heaven on my life. I would not be here today. We wouldn't be talking about numbers like that if not for a generational effect and legacy. Thank you, Richard Smithwick. Give him a hand. I believe with all my heart, we as men are called to do great and mighty things. I believe we're not just to live an average life. Daniel eleven thirty two, one of my favorite scriptures, says them that do know their God, the second part of that scripture, shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Say great exploits. He wants us as men of God, representatives, ambassadors of heaven, to be those two qualities. He wants us to be strong and to do exploits. But the only way to be strong and do exploits isn't going out in our own might and power, our own intellectual fortitude. It's by knowing him, them that do know their God equals to be strong and to do not just exploits, but great exploits. Say great exploits. One of my favorite characters in the Bible, I named my younger son after this character, this mighty man that represents the embodiment of that is David. We know the story of a shepherd boy killing a lion, a bear, but then not backing down, standing against a giant. But many people miss how what David was replicated into so many other men of that day. He took a ragtag group took them from being kind of vagabonds and outcasts, if not runaways. <laughs> they didn't want to be around society till they got around David, and he turned them into what he was. They did great and mighty feats, marching into a cave on a snowy day and killing a lion, one of them. The other slaying 800 men just with one weapon in his arms. But how many know when we get in the New Covenant, the New Testament, it's not great exploits of war necessarily, that we're all called to do. It's the exploits of unleashing heaven's goodness, love, power, when we come into a relationship and they come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that seemed very, very clear when Jesus called the 12 and the model of the 12 and then the 70 and then all of us, when he first called that original group that he was gonna mentor up close in Mark, the third chapter, verse 14 and 15, it says, he then appointed 12 that they might, what? Go. 
be with him. Just like Daniel said, we've got to know him. We've got to be with him. We can't do these exploits outside of him. The power that he's called us to work in only will flow properly if we have a daily intimate relationship by being with him, by knowing with him, but abiding in the vine, we've got to connect to the vine, but then after connecting to the vine, we can't say, well, I said that prayer years ago. No, we've got to protect that connect so that we continually are in a state of fellowship with him so that we can truly be those mighty men of valor today in the 21st century that represent Jesus in the right way to a world that's totally screwed up, messed up, jacked up, and needs a real man, and real manliness is synonymous with Christ-likeness. Say that, manliness is synonymous with Christ-likeness. There is a void of Christ-likeness, not only all around the world, but even in our society today. And God is calling us to be those mighty men that will press in and know him like never before. We see the first that was known as the father of the faith stepping into that. He had intimate encounters with God, talking about Abraham of old. The first man after the fall that God cut covenant with was Abram. He came down and talked to him. He, he fellowshiped with him. He showed him the stars. He said, I'm gonna make your seed, even when he was seedless, he had no child. I'm gonna make it more numerous than the stars of the sky and more numerous than the sands on the, the sea banks or the lake shores. He said, if you will come into this covenant with me, I'm gonna do this in and through you. And the reason God picked Abraham, the father, I mean, this guy was a stud. He didn't do exploits like David did or Joshua did, but this man did dared to believe God in the face of impossibility, even to the point when he said, all right, now the son I've given you, offer him up. He was willing to do that because he knew God Almighty was faithful and he'd fulfill his promise. The reason though God picked Abraham, and this is a key, a master key for us and our lives and our families and our pursuit of missional purpose is this. We see it in Genesis 18, 19, says, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him. The Amplified Classic translation says this, for I have known, chosen, acknowledged him as my own so that he may teach and command his children. What is that talking about? He, command, he led, if you will, his household so well that not only his children, but his children's children were affected mightily. And not only his children's children, God picked a man that would so follow him and so lead his family and his household that the whole household, when Lot was captured by enemy kings, he raised up his household. He went out and he conquered those enemy kings, just he and his household. He didn't have a king. He didn't have a kingdom. It was just them because they were all in for God. God picked a man that would lead his household in the right way, but there's a greater purpose for it. It wasn't just so Abraham himself could be blessed or even Isaac or even Jacob. It was found or is found in the 12th chapter, verse three of Genesis. The reason he did, he said, I will bless, the reason he picked Abraham, I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He picked Abram because he knew being in covenant with him that he was the type of man that he would be all in, no holds barred, and he would command the generations after him. And the result of a faithful man like that would ultimately 
turn into the fruit of faith, ultimate faithfulness, which would usher in the Messiah being born. God needed a godly seed that would bring forth Jesus so that he could fulfill what God's ultimate intent, God could fulfill what his ultimate missional purpose was for all the world. And that's accomplished salvation for you, for me, for people on the other side of the planet, for people across the street. He wanted to establish salvation through Jesus. So now we're the extensions of that salvation. And that's why Jesus, after he trained the 12 and the 70, he said in Mark 16, 15, now all of you go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. When we get into that, the real meaning of that, and we look at the Amplified Classic Translation, it literally reads this way. To every creature of the whole human race, that means that if there's one human being on the other side of the planet, and this is how this life came to me, I quickly as a young man was marked. My dad riding down the road threw in a tape series back in the day that it was cassettes. We were going on a ski trip. He was back being a businessman after following that divine detour I talked about. But he said, listen up boys. And my brother and I listened and it was a great general in the faith from the generation before. He was actually personal friends with Pastor Willie George. His name was Lester Summerall. Anybody ever heard that name? Just wave if you ever. Great general that knew Smith Wigglesworth and knew men like Howard Carter. And on that audio cassette, he began to tell as a 17, 19-year-old boy some encounters he had with God. How many know the walk that we have with God? The, the encounter of salvation with God is a supernatural encounter. It's more than just a natural thing. It's intellectually not grasped or perceived. It's of the spirit. It's of the heart of man. And we cannot in America get away from the supernatural movings of God if we're gonna have the fullness of God that he wants in and through our lives, our families, and our missional function in this earth, missional purpose. Lester Summerall said when he was 19 years old, God caught his spirit up out of his body, took him over a road of life, he had never seen the people of the world and he was intrigued by their beauty, all the different cultures, all the different people, and wasn't even aware where they were heading. They were trotting on the road of life just like them. They were unaware till they got up to the end of the road of life and there was a cliff and on the other side of the cliff, they were falling off by hundreds and thousands at a time, screaming and clawing their face, yelling out because they were falling over that precipice into the flames of an eternal hell. The first thought he he had was, dear Lord, hell's real. Stay out of there, Lester. <laughs> and he went on, God spoke to him and said, they're your responsibility. He said, no, 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 I'm a small country preacher. I'm obeying you. You raised me off my deathbed. I'm obedient, going to where you've called me in the South. He said, no, no. And he quoted out of Ezekiel 3, verse 18. And he said, you're a watchman. And if you don't warn the heathen of his ungodly deeds and he dies in his sin, his blood will be required at your hands. He looked down and he saw the blood of the nations flowing through his hands. I'm here to tell you, I, I didn't have an angelic visitation in that moment. I didn't hear a deeper bass voice booming from heaven than mine saying, John, you were called. But something about that man of God's encounter that propelled him to the nations of the earth got in my 12-year-old heart and marked me. I knew that's the purpose that mama and daddy had raised me in the way of the Lord for. I knew from a young age, God has a very significant definitive purpose for my life and I'm gonna pursue it from that point on. Man, I didn't, 
I didn't want anything but him. I didn't want anything but his divine purpose because I knew I had a great purpose in this earth. I never drank, I never went out and fooled around. I didn't party, why? Because I was on mission from that point on. And I saw the mission that began to not only change and shape my life, but later when I would lead teams with the largest teen missions organization of its time, non-denominal organization of its time, I saw the purpose that would transform teams, teens that had just been saved, some of them out of drug addiction, some of them out of uh, dark stuff, and even one or two out of Satanism, and, and them just being strung out, abused, neglected, that type of thing. And the moment that they stepped into the purpose of taking the gospel to others, it was altogether transforming for them. I've seen those that were literally so afraid they could barely share a word, but when they began to see the miracles of Jesus happen through their hands, I'll never forget a young, name, a young girl named Beth, very, very quiet. We were out on the mission field. And finally, during testimony night, she raised her hand and said, I'm so glad I wasn't successful just a few months ago. And you could see on her hand the slit marks that still, still the scars showed where she tried to take her life. She said, because I was unsuccessful then, God spared me. I've seen his purpose flow through me as people were healed as I laid hands on them. It was in the nation of Bolivia. As I've shared the gospel with them, people were radically transformed and changed. We began to see at a young age the purpose that I believe transforms generations. That's why from a, a young age, I was like, I'm gonna do this and I'm not only gonna do this when I reach the point of marriage, I'm gonna say, I said, I'm gonna do this with my wife and I'm gonna do this with my boys, I'm gonna touch the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe no matter where you find yourself, you may, may not be like me, an international evangelist, but I believe with all my heart, the two purposes that every man that calls Jesus Savior and Lord is to operate in is one, our personal purpose, and that's to know him, and two, our missional purpose, to make him known. There is a world that desperately needs us to reach out to them, making known what he's done for them, what he has already purchased the price for, and what they need is you. You're the connection point. If you don't get to them, they won't know him. In my younger years, I was fascinated, intrigued by miracle signs and wonders, and I began to really push in because I saw when I'd read and study and hear stories of people like Lester Sumrall or Tia Osborne, whomever the great man of God was, as they saw God do miracles, it would affect the masses in greater amounts. So I began to press in for miracles and wanted to go to the nations and God dealt with me after some of my early meetings, preaching my first few messages in churches. He said, son, you don't have to wait till you get to the other side of the world. And the revelation came, world evangelism starts at your front doorstep. I was living right here in Tulsa, just a few blocks from Johnny and my alma mater, Oral Roberts. And God began to deal with me about my neighbors that live there. I developed relationship with them, began to reach out. I was a single man, so I didn't bake or cook or anything like that, but I went and bought a nice tray of cookies and went up and listened to the man upstairs that had already been in and out of the penitentiary and had a silver skeleton necklace hanging around his neck and a 16-year-old son that had already been in and out of school and in and out of gangs. But I loved him, brought those cookies, began to share of a, a real God that cared about each and every one of them. That went on to one morning, I stepped out my front doorstep and they were there. It was the young man and his friend and another young man. And I said, man, we've just been doing these meetings and Jesus was healing people. They're kind of gawking, but they know I'm real because I've developed relationship with them. 
And I said, yeah, I'll prove it to you. Do any of you guys have pain in your body? None of them had pain at first. And then the gentleman that was the friend, young African-American man said, yeah, I've got pain in my shoulder. I injured my shoulder. I didn't feel anything, guys, but I obeyed what the scripture said. I laid hands on the sick and said a very brief prayer, said, Lord God, touch my friend right now and said his name. Instantly, the pain left his shoulder. He began to move it around. He ran out in the middle of our apartment complex, did one of these acrobatic moves. I won't attempt it here lest I need a miracle to be raised up. <laughs> he came running back. He said, man, you can ask the young man that lived upstairs that I've been reaching out to. You can ask him. He's known the last two years I hadn't been able to do anything with his shoulder. He said, this is a real miracle. I said, do you want more than just a miracle on your shoulder? Do you want a miracle in your heart? Jesus came, paid the price for all of us to be cleansed of our sin. He said, yes, I prayed right there on the spot. Now my upstairs neighbor that I brought the cookies to, 16 year old young man, when I said, do you wanna do this too with this young man? He said, no man, we got a family religion. I said, well, what is it? He said, witchcraft. This is what, about 30 years ago now, something like that. Oh, great, my upstairs neighbors, not only in and out of the penitentiary and all this, but they're into the dark arts. He said, but it's good witchcraft, it's white magic. There's no white magic. <laughs> but the Jesus in me is greater, just like the Jesus in you is greater than anything you'll face. I said his name and I reached out and I said, hey bro, God's a gentleman, he won't, he won't force you to, to receive him as Savior and Lord, but he loves you and he wants you to know him as Savior and Lord. He wants a close relationship. Let me just pray for you. Sometimes we just need to take the opportunity. We need to make the opportunity. I laid quickly hands on him and just said, Lord, make your power real to my friend and named his name. That night when I was coming back from working at Impact Productions, Johnny and I both were there at the same time, a wonderful ministry here in Tulsa. I heard a voice running across that grassy area where the other brother had done the, the flip-flop move. And he was like, yo, yo, John, wait. I said, what's up? I said his name. It was a young man that didn't want to receive. He said, man, you said that thing over me and my knee's not hurting. I said, what do you mean? I named his name. I said, I didn't know your knee was hurting. Yeah, remember six months ago I injured it? Man, I couldn't go anywhere. I'd, I'd have pain all the time. He said, after you said that thing over me, I went over to the Walmart shopping. I went all over the hood. I went looking for a job. My knee's not hurting. I said, man, Jesus is making himself real with you. It was only about a week later, I had both of them brought them to 180. Their lives continued to be impacted by the goodness of God. We're all called and our families are called to make a missional difference in people's lives by sharing the real Jesus today. World evangelism, God showed me, uh, before I'd really, really got going strong with Global Ventures, it started at my front doorstep, but it didn't end there. Let world evangelism, let the mission of the Great Commission sink deep into your heart and life. Because at the end of the day, end of the, day the day of life, one day all of us are gonna stand before the master. All of us are gonna have to give an account. Now, him being our savior and Lord, it's not the great white throne judgment. How many have enjoyed the wonderful series on Revelation that's been going on at Church on the Move? It's been incredible. But we will give an account at the Bama seat, the Bama seat of Christ, where he's gonna say, what did you do with my goodness of salvation? What did you do with the blessings? See, it's not enough, Chip. Matthew 6, 33 says it really well. We've gotta know our why. My why came 
when I heard Lester Summerall talking about the world falling into the flames of hell and hearing about the blood run through, running through his hands, it seared itself on my spirit. It stamped itself on my heart. I was like, I can't do anything else except take this message to the far four corners of the earth and equip others to do so also. My boys being raised in an atmosphere like that, we believe in raising champions and striving for excellence. Andrew just graduated with straight A's and saw some pretty awesome things happen, but it meant he had to train for cross country and for track overseas in the summertime running on like Sargum Road. We had like molasses covered roads in Zambia because we're out in the middle of this sugar field plantation and basin from there. He had to wake up early and I had to get this old rickety African bike and try to follow him. It broke down, had to get another bike. It broke down. It was crazy, but it was worth the price because as we honored God and went out and shared the great shared in the Great Commission movement, he came back, if we have that picture, and with three other boys ran in nationals, Nike nationals, Jackson Brooks, Jack Strode, and Ben Hamaya, and united together, they did what uh, no other Lincoln group has done. They went and placed fifth in the 3200 relay. It was awesome. I got to just give props right now to their coach. Their coach, really, really, he and I have developed a relationship. Coach Lou, you're not in the room, are you? Man, he started pressing in in the last few years for more and more. He just felt God moving. And this is one of the ways, if we grab a hold of heaven and being a witness, being a light, he saw a vision during praise and worship at Church on the Move. He saw a slogan, Jesus loves, Jesus saves. And he created that shirt, and it was right before the track team went and had the second victory of winning state before the three-peat that just happened this year. All of the boys stood on stage. Let's bring that picture up. Wearing that, being witnesses. Now, that's Andrew the year later. There's one that should have the whole team. There's the whole team the second time they won the championship. Wearing and being witnesses and lights of the gospel, Lord Jesus Christ. When we tap into heaven's movement for our life, we begin to see that God has great and mighty things for us to do if we'll step out and share with our friends, our neighbors. We need to know our why. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these other things will be what? They'll be added unto us. I got several points I'll share with you real quickly. Um, I wanna narrow them down just to three. A friend of Johnny and mine, came up with this and I'll share it and we'll close with this. If you say, John, I've never really shared my faith. I've never shared about what Jesus has done in my life. It's the ABCs, it's very simple. Just simply share A, that people need to accept Jesus. Build a relationship, build a rapport with them. Listen to what they're going through. Connect with them, find common ground. But then as you turn the tide, share your testimony. No one can argue with what Jesus has done in your life personally. So A, share about how Jesus has done it for you and ask them to A, accept Jesus into their own heart and life. B, ask them to believe that he is Savior and Lord, that he is God's only son, God in the flesh, born of a virgin, meaning his God, God's his father. Mary was his natural mother. They've gotta believe that. They've gotta believe he died on the cross, shed holy blood and rose from the grave. And then see, they've got a call with their own mouth on him, making him Savior and Lord. If they'll do that, they will be born again. 
As we live this type of life, it is awesome what God will do in and through each and every one of us. I wanna share a story. David, at age 13, because of growing up seeing things like this, we'll bring up the first picture. We were in a, a village in Thailand. For generations, they don't know not of the living God. Thailand has been less than 1% Christian for millennia. And this little boy was blind in his right eye. If we jump to the next picture, David prayed. The eye was still dark at first, but David boldly began to test it with one of our trained translators. All of a sudden, the young man began to see light and movement. The next thing, he began to see the fingers David was holding up. He didn't stop there. The next picture, he's backed up eight, then 10 feet, and the young man is seeing and reading, seeing perfectly the number of fingers that David's holding up, healed by the power of God. Don't you know that whole Thai school received Jesus as Savior and Lord? Just because of a miracle at the time that a 13-year-old operated in because he believed and took God's gospel at face value and was willing to share it with boldness and corresponding power. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you say, John, I need that level of power operating in my life. I need to be a more active witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've shared some, but I, I can do more to reach out across the street, across the tracks, across the office and share who Jesus is. If that's you and you say, I wanna do more to be the light today for Jesus, raise your hand high all over this place. I don't wanna stand before the Bama seat of Christ empty-handed. I wanna bring precious souls with me. Yes, hands going up all over. Thank you, thank you, thank you. A second quick call if you say, John, I'm not even sure if I died right now, I'd go straight to heaven. I'm not sure I'm in fellowship relationship with Jesus in that intimate way that you've described. Man, this is your divine moment of destiny. You're not here by accident. God ushered you to this breakfast this morning. If you say, I want that, I wanna know him, I wanna know and walk with him and have his blessings and then when I die one day, know that I'm gonna see him face to face as Savior and Lord. Raise your hand high if that's you. Is there anyone like that says, I'm not sure if I died right now, I'd stand righteous before a holy God. Thank you. Are there other hands going up? Right now, I wanna say this prayer with all of us and encompass both, both those things. Stand on your feet, raise one hand to heaven. Put your other hand on your heart. Everyone in the room, everyone in the room, stand on your feet, raise one hand to heaven. Put your other hand on your heart and say this out loud with me. Say it strongly, say it as men. Say, dear God, I do believe Jesus is your holy son, that he is God the son. I believe he paid the price by shedding his holy blood on the cross for me. I believe on the third day he rose from the grave and that he's Lord of the universe. Jesus, I confess you as my personal Lord, Savior and King. Live brightly, live mightily through me today so that I can give back to this world the great love that you've shed abroad in my heart. Use me to do great and mighty exploits like never before so I can fulfill your plan on this earth and bring a boatload of souls to heaven with me. In your holy name, in Jesus' name, amen.